0: Alright, God, we, uh, we ask You, Holy Spirit, to come. We don't want to just make this a mental exercise, because we can easily do that um, when we make studying and learning just a mental uh, thing. We want to make it to where it hits us mentally, but then it also leads to transforming our actions under the guidance and direction of You, Holy Spirit. That is the goal of studying Your Word. And I pray, Lord, it would happen in my heart and in my life to a greater degree. See, I see way too many holes and way too many procrastination issues and just laziness, Lord. So I pray that you'd help me with that, Lord, that you help us with that, Father, to grow together, Lord, and living out what you've called us to do. Because it's not just about thinking right, Lord, it's about doing right. And we pray downstairs that you would just be with uh, the kids and with Travis and you bless uh, the seeds being planted there, Lord, and be with the kids next door. We thank you that we have a warm, safe place to meet this morning father in Jesus name amen amen okay page 702 Matthew 25 Um, let's read this and um, if you turn over your bulletin I got a couple fill in the blanks there just to help out and then a a few things that we'll learn too that hopefully will help you uh, with this as well Right, and the backdrop is, before we look at this, right, is Jesus, it really started back in Matthew 24. Right after uh, Jesus in Matthew 23 blasted the religious leaders and Pharisees and just like hit them hard with a lot of stuff. And then right after that, they're walking away. And his disciples are like, whoa, you know, what was that about? And look at what's been done, the you know, in their religious system with the way they've been doing it. Like this amazing temple, what they've built, the religious system being instituted. And Jesus is like, you know what, it's actually not going to stand because um, they're building um, their uh, relationship on God and the religious system in, in the wrong places and in the wrong ways. And he's like, in you know, basically 50 years or so, this is all going to be gone. And then from there, that just... Um, is a catalyst for all this talk about the end times what's going to happen at the end what it's going to look like who's going to be around um, the kind of rumors and earthquakes and famines and all that kind of stuff and so now we get to the end of the conversation um, in Matthew 25 here in the last part of it so let's read it and then um, we'll take a look at what this has to say for us and then we'll very quickly just revisit Matthew 25 because I'm sure in three weeks of looking at it, you might have forgotten a thing or two about, about Matthew 25, so we can tie it all together. Sound good? Alright. So, Matthew 25, verse 31. And the title of the message is The Sheep and the Goats. We're talking about the sheep and the goats. So, verse 31. Let's see here. It says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory, All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Verse 37 says Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? It says, When did we see you stranger, invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick? or in prison and go to visit you the king will reply tell you the truth whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine you did for me so then to the people on the left depart from me you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink I was a stranger and you did not invite me in I needed clothes, you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see hungry or thirsty or stranger needing clothes or sick and in prison and we didn't help? Verse 45, he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. It says, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And then Matthew 26 picks up when Jesus had finished saying all these things, right? So then that was over. That was the end of this conversation about end times, um, about, uh, you know, the parable of the uh, ten virgins and the parable of the talents and um, all of these things. So this closes it up. And we're talking about sheeps and we're talking about goats. So what does this have to do with us, number one? Um, anybody ever have any sheeps? Just out of curiosity. Hey, you got one anybody ever have any goats? curiosity? no? okay one interesting thing about goats right? Under their pupils like square shaped if you ever notice and you look at a goat take a look at one real closely um, they got square pupils it's crazy it's amazing like why is that? I don't know why God did that and I don't know how many animals have like different shaped pupils like does somebody have you know a rhombus or a trapezoid or something I don't know but um whatever So, the sheep and the goats. Okay, the sheep and the math like part got in there and messed things up. So the sheep and the goats. We're trying to stay focused and on task here. So the first underline that you have in your bullets in there. This is not a parable. That's what goes in the blank there. This is not a parable. Before, we were talking about parables. Right, the parable of the ten virgins. Then we talked about the parable of the towns. This is not um, a parable. Um, This is about something that's actually going to happen. So let's take a look. Verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man, that's Jesus. And why does he use that title to refer to himself? He uses that title to refer to himself um, because that's the way he's referred to in Old Testament prophecies. The Son of Man. Um, So you don't, you know, refer to yourself... Probably not. I've talked to most people in here. I don't think anybody does. I don't think you refer to yourself in some other way. With uh, some other adjectives. You know, you just call yourself whatever your name is. Um, But Jesus, um, through the eyes of Matthew. uh, Who is Jewish himself. Who's really trying to make a case and a point. That this is the Messiah. That this is the Son of Man that was written about beforehand. So if he's trying to make that case Um, in many instances he's going to refer to Jesus as the Son of Man to build his case to build his point because he's the one that wrote the book so when the Son of Man when Jesus comes in his glory and all the angels with him he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory so this is actually going to happen, happen Jesus is going to come he's going to come in all his glory what does that mean? and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne. So that's where your question with the couches and with the chair came into play, like your throne, you know, that's like loosely attached there, you see. Because I don't want to talk about the other throne that many times we refer to. Yeah, so, you know. So I went with the couches and the chair thing there. So, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory says all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He's going to put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So we got the sheep on the right and we got the goats on the left. And who are these people? When is this happening Is he just repeating himself from when um, he was talking before? Like, what is the deal? What's going on here? Why is it significant? Because it's not a parable, and it's really going to happen. So, um, I wanted to break down a couple of things for you. If you could, turn over to Revelation chapter 20. right? And we've looked at this before a few weeks ago. But I want to make sure we look at it again because I want to clear up any possible misconceptions we might have. Page what? Page 878. Page 878. Because sometimes, as you're turning there, I'll talk and maybe you can multitask and listen and turn at the same time. Hopefully that is possible. Um, Sometimes the passage we just read in Matthew 25 at least verses 31 through 33, people think of that and refer that to like the end time, the final judgment. Um, And what is recalled in the Bible, the great white throne judgment. And uh, if you look in Revelation 20 verse 11, right, there's a word in verse 11 there, right, the great white throne. And, um, there's different things that are happening at the end here um but what we're reading this morning that's not the great white throne judgment like that's not the final judgment where people all people then stand up and we figure out or we don't figure out Jesus opens up the book of life and then he sees what names are in there what names are not this is not what we're reading this morning in Matthew 25 is is not it and so I want to try and show you why That's not it. There's some interesting differences and parallels. And maybe, as we break it down, you'll be like, Oh, I don't know if I really noticed that before. Or I don't know if I've continued this train of thought before. And maybe you have. And if you have, then, hey, you just get to rehearse it. That's okay. So let's take a look. Revelation 20, verse 11. So this is the end. The final judgment, the way that it's going to go down. Says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence. There was no place for them. That's crazy. What? Earth and sky are gone. Okay. Verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books the sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what he had done then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire the lake of fire is the second death right the final death if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire so there's some interesting parallels with what we're reading this morning, but it's not exactly the same. So let's dig a little bit deeper and figure out why. Well, Matthew 25 pass, passage. This is happening, look at verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory. Right? He is coming there. In our Revelation 20 passage... Where I said the earth and sky and everything had already passed away, fled from his presence. And he's already sitting there ready to judge. So our passage is happening immediately right after he returns. The one we just read about, the great white throne judgment, that's after a thousand year reign of Christ. There's going to be this period where Christ reigns for like a thousand years. And after that is then when everybody stands up and the second death is going to happen. I'm going to try not to lose any details here, but I'll tie it all back together. The one we just read about, when the Son of Man, Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne. He's going to be gathered together and He's going to separate them. This is happening on earth. This is happening here. We read in the other judgment that the earth and the sky just was gone, right? Just was gone. Our passage here, it seems to only happen for the Gentiles, which would be us, people who are not Jewish, and I'll explain why in a minute, seems to only happen for Gentiles who are kind and caring towards the Jewish people. And the reason why we say that is because as we read further down, um, in verse 40, says, The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So Jesus is referring to his brothers of mine, his Jewish brothers, his uh, Jewish uh, disciples, followers, right? The Jews. So like there's a focus specifically to and on that. And if you spend any time reading and digging a little bit deeper if you're interested in this kind of thing, you'll see that most commentators also say the same thing. Um, That there's this focus on this group of people that at the end are showing extreme kindness and hospitality and love and care uh, for the Jewish people. It's interesting. That doesn't really tie into the great white throne judgment. right? These are two separate things. And the last thing about our passage. It doesn't say anything about the books being opened. And about names being in there. Our passage, if anything, seems to infer, it seems to suggest, um, that they are rewarded according to their works. Which is very interesting. Because those of us that know the Bible a little bit to some degree, have some Bible knowledge, we know that certainly salvation is not um, accomplished and earned through works. It's earned through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And then hopefully the works follow that. Right? That's the idea. And that's what this says in Romans, that Abraham, uh, it was justified to him because of his faith alone faith alone that's how the whole Lutheran church started right we rent this church from the Lutherans like that's how it all started with Martin Luther faith alone not all this other stuff to be considered um, not guilty to be considered forgiven and saved before Jesus Christ it's by faith alone that moment when we say God I believe what you did was for me I believe that I am a sinner I want to try and live my life for you Boom. When that is said, and that is meant. And our hearts are in that thing, not knowing what's going to happen next. When we've been moved to say that and pray that, we are then declared righteous before God. When He sees us, He just sees Jesus' blood. That's it. Now from there, hopefully there are some works to follow out the huge commitment we just made. Just like you can't get married at the altar and say all of those heavy-duty things and then not really live that out, right? That's a huge mixed message, okay? So, there's definitely differences between the great white throne judgment and the one we're reading about right now. So then the obvious question is, what's going on here in this situation? Now, I pause here to freely tell you, admittedly tell you, um, I do not know exactly all the details how this is going to plan out. And what I'm about to tell you um, is basically speculation. So you can take it if you'd like. Um, You don't have to. You can take it back, read it more, do whatever you'd like with it. Um, But it seems to be a common belief among... uh, many pastors and commentators, but then there's others on the other side too, um, that what I'm about to tell you is what they think is going to happen. So the belief is that this group of people that we're reading about, this group of people is coming from the group of people that are left after this thing called the rapture. We talked about this earlier before, right? Right? Jesus has talked about Matthew 24, this thing called the rapture is going to happen. Who knows when. In a twinkle of an eye, it's going to happen right away. It says in Luke that two guys will be in a, a field plowing. Uh, one will stay, one will go. And you may have heard this series, the left behind series. Some people will get left behind. So this thing called the rapture is going to happen. And um, true believers will be taken away. Somehow, instantly amazingly, miraculously. People will get left. Then, there's going to be this time period where um, there's going to be this Antichrist that will come. There's going to be this time period called the Tribulation that's going to happen. Am I losing anybody? Everybody seems pretty focused. It's pretty good. Seems like the wheels are turning, so this is good, like we're thinking about this. So after the Rapture, this time period is going to happen called the Tribulation. And boy, that is going to be a difficult time. And that's when Jesus says, "Man, how bad it's going to be!" You know, for mothers giving childbirth, and it's just that's that's when we read about these wars and just these rumors of wars, and things are just going to get <coughs> ugly. And so, when you read a lot of these end time prophecy things and the difficulty and the violence, um, this is the time we're talking about the tribulation because it truly is a tribulation, and this antichrist will come. He will uh, bring peace, supposedly, to the Middle East somehow. That's going to be amazing, right? Because nobody gets along over there. And it's really part of the plan, right? It's intentional. And so somebody's going to bring peace over there. People are going to say, wow, this is it. This is the way we're supposed to be living, in peace like this. This is it. And then at some point in time, he's going to declare himself to be worshipped. And then things get real bad from there and they go downhill. During that time, there's going to be a group of people. Some people have estimated 3 billion people or so. I mean, I don't know the number. You know, it's speculation. But there's going to be a group of people that are going to be left there that are going to commit their lives to Christ. They're not going to take the mark of the beast, the mark of the Antichrist. They're not going to. They're going to commit their lives to Christ. Which, man, they're, they're heavy-duty followers, man. If in the middle of all that chaos and difficulty and strife and they're not going to turn away, that's, that's amazing. They're going to stay the course during all that. And supposedly those people that then have not received the mark, that have stayed faithful, that for whatever reason have paid attention to their neighbor like the way Christ should. They've paid, they've paid special attention and care and love and prayer for the Israel nation, for the Jewish people. This passage is supposedly what's going to happen to them. Jesus will come in His glory on earth and then separate these people out based on how they treated the Jewish people and how they lived during the tribulation. So it's an interesting time. It's an interesting idea. All the details, again, much of it is speculation. It's not quite ironed out yet. But I think it might be worth your time and effort and energy to look back on these things and be like, hey, what was he talking about with the rapture? And what was that thing with the tribulation? And the mark of the who. And go look and read into that. And just like see maybe what that's about. And I'll tell you what. It's very interesting. The more you read into these things. And if you pay attention to the news at all. And read some news. And I'm with you. Hey, I got minimal time too. But if you do some reading the news. And you dig into some of the news. And you line that up with the Bible. It's pretty amazing what you find. So the sheep and the goats. Not necessarily at the end, the final judgment. It's some kind of judgment that happens before with a group of people that pays special attention to the Jewish nation. So very interesting. And um, we want to be part of the sheep. Well, hopefully we won't be there, number one. But if you're there, you want to be part of the sheep, right? It was like, um, a sign of honor to be part of the right hand side to be part of the right hand to be like the right R-I-G-H-T um, that's like a sign of honor sign of a good thing to be on the left for whatever reason was a sign of dishonor was not a good thing so it's not like we're discriminating against the righties and the lefties so Carrie okay, we're not discriminating against the one lefty in here um, but it's just right Jesus chooses these things to talk about and to bring up. Uh, in ways and terms that they will understand. Not because he's trying to make. A discriminatory remark. Um, towards people. So we got the sheep. We have the goats. So here we go. Verse 34. Next fill in here. So hopefully I didn't lose you too much in the details. But you know what? It's in the Bible. We're reading. We're going through the Bible. And. And. I think it's important that there are some intelligent Christians out there that can at least... And we're all at different places. I totally get that. I completely understand that. Um, but, uh, you know, we try and learn and do what we can when we can because who knows who we might talk to and who knows how it might affect our own personal faith um, because there's a lot of beliefs and a lot of things out there. Um, you know, who is the latest guy? Harold oh, Camping, you know? I don't know who... You know. He could, he, he, a lot of people, you know, are believing in that guy. And there's been lots of other guys. can easily be taken astray if we don't know kind of what's going on. Um, not sure if you saw it or not, but a couple of weeks ago... Oh, and happy uh, Valentine's Day, by the way. I uh, hope you guys had a nice Valentine's Day. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, there was a big debate on... I'll put that link on our church group page. Uh, it was a big debate. It was a pretty big debate... Um, there hasn't been a big, one like this regarding this subject and this topic in a long time. I don't have the exact amount of years, but it's been a while. Um, there was... Anybody remember Bill Nye the Science Guy? So Bill Nye... I grew up watching him. Bill Nye the Science Guy. Um, huge atheist. And then Ken Ham. Ken Ham, who Ken Ham is a Bible-banging believer. Um, And he has basically built up uh, this thing called the Creation Museum. And the Creation Museum has all of these um, huge uh, fossils. And it has like, you know, these dinosaurs. And it explains, um, they explain the creation of the world through the lens of the Bible. So you have these two guys debating. Two and a half hours, it's a long time. I woke up really early one morning and I just just did it because I was like, man, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. So, Bill Nye the Science Guy versus Ken Ham and the question was, um, I I can't say it exactly right, but it was basically on creation. Is it a viable, uh, is it a viable explanation of the world or something like that? And so they go back and forth. It was pretty good stuff they talked about a lot of interesting stuff and um, um, you know my my feeling was that uh, I I thought it was kind of even actually I I don't know I thought Bill Nye did really good I thought Ken Ham you know did really well too Um, but you can't deny uh, that for the Christian um, at some point there certainly is some faith involved absolutely Um, but there definitely is holes in the total atheist argument as well so, um, if you're interested in that type of thing, I'll put that on the um, church uh, group page um, later today. If you're interested, you can check that out whenever you'd like. Um, but again, it's just this idea of being aware of what's around us and being able to interpret the world through the lens of the Bible. That sounds insane to people that are not Christian. To interpret the world through the lens of the Bible. Um, but nonetheless that's what we're trying to do as Christ followers because it is through faith so let's finish up the rest of this stuff here so this is not a parable right not a parable because it's actually going to happen here's our second fill in more than mental more than mental what am I talking about here not myself but I don't know depending on the day that could be the case more than mental. Here we go. Verse 34. What's the huge issue here? They all get separated based on a particular issue. And that issue is important. So when we study the Bible, we should be able to understand like um, what the catalyst is for uh, certain things that are happening. So what's the catalyst for this division, this separation that's happening? Verse 34, 34 says, well, Then the king will say to those on his right, So are those the sheep or the goats? The sheep. Verse 37 says, And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you thirsty, give you something to drink? He says, When did, um, he says, the king will reply in verse 40, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So, our second fill in the blank there, right? What we have is more than mental. Meaning, Christianity is more than just a mental understanding of. Of the Bible and Jesus Christ and his life. Um, I, I've noticed that, um, so even just Calvary Chapel. That's been a struggle in the Calvary Chapel movement and churches. Is that um, one of their strengths, like many things in life, um, one of our strengths can also sometimes be a big weakness if we're not careful and are not paying attention. Um, One of the strengths of Calvary Chapel is they they try and give the whole counsel of God. So they try and give the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. um, So that way people can make a clear, rational understanding of who God is and how they want to approach that God. So that way, that church can stand before God and say, hey, we gave them the whole word. The whole word. We told them all of who God was, all of his personality, all of how he interacted with people, all of his love, all of his grace. Something special to say that before God. Instead of, well, we chose this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, because it was encouraging, uplifting, and inspirational. Ah, That's not really the whole goal. That's not really the whole goal of the Bible. There's like a thing called convicting in there. Right? And there's issues of sin, and there's issues of judgment at the end, like we talked about. And those have to be talked about, too. So, one challenge for Calvary Chapel churches, is, as I've noticed growing up in, um, and other people, other uh, pastors would say, too, is that because they go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Bibles, um, sometimes they get um, a little arrogant on, yeah, you know, we study the whole Bible, you yeah. know. And then, uh, you know, they listen to maybe so-and-so preach or talk a different way or, you know, maybe pick out things that are more, quote-unquote, topical. Um, That's not necessarily bad. Um, But sometimes, you know, uh, if, if I'm around a Calvary Chapel circle, it's like, oh, you know, that's not technically in the Hebrew, you know, it says. And it's like, it's not like really a huge point that'll change everything, but like they get weird about it. You know, they get weird about it. And so, um and us being in the Northeast, one thing that we certainly value is education and being able to like be mentally stimulated and like you know do well with that and get all the letters after your name and be well educated, which is good, it is good to be educated, um, but it makes it difficult when the way we follow God isn't just about education it's just part of the story. see it's difficult when you've live your whole life to where it's like learn, achieve, get good grades, learn, achieve, get good grades, perform, achieve, do well. Well, in Christianity it's like learn, okay, submit. And then we like learn and wait for a while. And then we get like humbled for a while. And then there's like some growing. And then we're sitting before God and we're waiting. And then we're struggling. It's not just like and this is the difficult part, you know, for young guys who come out of seminary. Four years, Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Greek, hermeneutics, um, got it all, so now we're ready. Ah, eh, not really. Not really. There's still the heart of God that, like, we need to learn and be around. And many times, you can't get that through a book. You have to be around people and their hearts and in their lives. You've got to be around the family. That's like struggling to decide what they're going to do with the last like $3 that they have and how they wanna, what they want to do with that. You know, I got to be with the famous struggling through illness that's been struggling with the illness for 10, 11, 12 years. Oh, Jesus will never leave your side. Well, that's a great cliche, but now we need more, right? We need more now. So this thing is more than mental. And we can see that in this passage, those goats and the sheep, they're separated what separates them is their actions. The actions separate the sheep and the goats. I'm sure part of the goats were really smart and they had good head knowledge and they kind of knew what to do. They were probably maybe even bossing some of the sheep around. But the difference was that those sheep, the ones on the right hand side, saw the needs and didn't just see the needs. It moved them to compassion to then move and then work and then just Where can we plug in? Where can we help? And it didn't matter if it was prison. It didn't matter if they were hungry. It didn't matter if they needed water. It didn't matter if they needed clothes. That's why my heart is really into meeting the needs of the people in this town. Because we just don't need to be. The town doesn't need another Christian group that meets on a Sunday morning. And maybe occasionally other days for other things. We also want to be the group that's more than mental. We get in there, we get our hands dirty, we get in the trenches, and even more than that, God willing, we're moving in power of the Holy Spirit when we're doing it. That's the big difference. That's the hope and that's the prayer. And that's the difficult part. And that's why, you know, a lot of churches maybe struggle with that. Because it's very difficult to have... It's very difficult to have one person to just try and be surrendered to move into power. Now you can try and imagine getting a whole bunch of other people, a whole group of people, a whole team of people, a whole family of people all on the same page and Lord just reign and move through us. It's tough stuff. Because we all got our lives and we got things going on, but it's tough. So it's more than mental. So here's the last idea, last thought. Last fill in the blank. Blank is real. The separation is real. And here's the sobering thought. And really this whole passage, um, the past few weeks, um, I would be apologetic for it, but I just think that's probably inappropriate. It is what it is. Like Jesus is just talking right now, and it's just, it is what it is. It's a sobering thought and concept to think that at the end, um, there actually is going to be judgment and accountability for what's going to happen. It just is. So maybe the past few weeks haven't been the most inspirational and encouraging with the most funny stories, but hey, that's just the way it goes sometimes, you know. So the separation is real. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, the sheep or the goats? The goats. Some people are still awake. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed. And to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And when I read that the first time, I got to admit, I did smile. The fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Yeah, I smiled a little bit. Because man, it is a battle with them. Is it not? It is a battle with them. It is a battle. And I'm so going to be so glad when they have their day. Before the king and eternal judge himself. I don't feel bad. Verse 42. He's trying to destroy my family. He's trying to destroy your family. He's trying to crush and destroy us. Why? I, I don't know. He's filled with nothing but evil. Yes. Verse 42. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, right? So here are the people that did not do anything. I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Verse 44, so they're going to say, Lord, you know, when did we see you, hungry or thirsty or a stranger, needing clothes or sick in prison or did not help you? Verse 45, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Verse 46, right? Separation is real. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. It's heavy duty. It's heavy duty. Sobering thought. um, But that's the way he explains it. And you know what? Through the Bible, it's really clear that there is this place called hell. And um, there's a lot of books and a lot of conversations right now going on about what exactly hell is and what it looks like and you know, what's going to happen there. Um, pretty much the bottom line, in as simplest layman's terms is, it's a place we do not want to go and do not even want to be near. It's just not good and not right and it's not with the king. We want to be with the King, right? Eternal life. That's where we want to be. So, Matthew 25, what the heck happened? What did we talk about for three weeks? And how could it be helpful for us? Because we took like one conversation with Jesus and his disciples. Maybe that took, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. And we looked at it for three weeks. 40 minutes a clip or so. So real quick, let's do a quick recap, revisit, and we close up. So from Matthew 25, we have learned that preparation for Christ's return means that we need the following. Right? Because this is all about preparation for Christ's coming again. His second coming. He will be coming. So, first thing that we learned is we need wisdom combined with awareness. Awareness. How did we get that? That's the parable of the ten virgins. There were five wise, five foolish. The five wise, they had their lamps, and they had extra oil for when the bridegroom might come. Because he could come at any time. They were wise enough to think ahead, plan ahead, and position themselves for maybe when their flesh wouldn't be ready. And in fact, the bridegroom did show up when they were sleeping. But it didn't matter, because they prepared ahead of time. And so what we need is we need wisdom combined with awareness. We want to be wise. We want to make sure our oil lamps are with us. And we want to make sure we got the oil flowing. We have the Holy Spirit flowing through our lives. That we're trying to surrender each and every day. Each and every way. Because honestly, all we get is today. And so today is just when I get to surrender to God Himself and what He has for me. So we need wisdom combined with awareness. Second thing is we need responsibility evidenced by service. Responsibility evidenced by service. We got that from the parable of the talents. Some guy had five talents. Another guy had two talents. One guy had one talent. Point of the whole parable being we bring what we have to the king and just get busy with that. Because the whole point of that parable was the landowner was giving them some cash and the land and he wanted them to maximize it. God has given us gifts, abilities, talents, resources and it's required that we maximize it. Because we're going to stand before him and give an account. Because after a long period of time, it said in that parable, not a short period of time, after a long period of time, Then they stood before the landowner and they gave account for what they did. So we're going to give account. Whether it's one talent, two talents, five talents. Maybe you got 15 talents. I don't know. But we're going to give an account. So responsibility, evidence by service. And last thing, faith fueled by works. That's really a big part of what's happened right here at the sheep and the goats. It was a faith that fueled their works. It was a faith that helped them to see and recognize the need in front of them and they just went to go meet it. And it was a faith that didn't just stay mental, it carried out through the physical. Right? So we tie up Matthew 25 and those three things there. Those two parables and that one explanation or a description of what's going to happen in the end with the sheep and the goats. Right? We have wisdom combined with awareness, responsibility evidenced by service, and faith fueled by works. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, close with one song here. We'll close with one song, and um, we'll play uh, "Come Thou Founts because uh, I just think that's a great hymn and I think that um, we definitely need um, just a uh, fountain to just come flowing uh, through our lives and um, to just really impact those around us because man I think about that separation that's going to happen and man we think about friends and family and um, listen like sometimes it's super difficult to talk about I mean, you know, a difficult conversation is about religion and it's about politics. Like, those are hard conversations. Um, And sometimes they just don't get there a whole lot. But the one thing that can never be taken away from us is the power of prayer invested into those people. Because that can never be touched and that can never be taken away. And according to the Bible, it says it's powerful, effective, and availeth much. So we can definitely, at the very least, do that and we'll see where the conversations go. So let's sing that song and then we'll come and then we'll uh, pray together. Well, never mind, we're going to stand up and pray. That's what we're going to do. That's alright. We'll stand up and pray. We can't get this song, that's okay. I wanted to do this though. As we close, do something a little bit different. Let's um, do something a little bit different. Because I know that we have friends, we have family around us. Uh, the separation deal is real. And we're called to intercede and pray for those um, around us. So let's take, let's take like the next 30 seconds, okay? And um, let's pray verbally out loud, not shouting, not anything crazy, um, but let's pray out loud, audibly the names of those that are on our hearts and minds that we know need Christ. It could be friends. It could be spouses. um, It could be uh, other family members, whoever. But why not at church? Like, Let's pray for them out loud together. Because it's it's bigger than us. Who knows what God is going to do with it? But let's just cry out before Him and just pray for them. And so that's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to take the next like 30 seconds. So it's going to sound um, funny in here with everybody praying for, you know, names of people. People on your right and left are going to pray for names of people uh, that you don't know or whatever. But don't focus on that. Like, we're just praying audibly to God, asking Him to do a work in people that have been in and around our lives or people that matter to us. So let's do that for the next like 30 seconds. Let's just cry out to God and pray to God for those people, for the God, we just cry out to you, Lord, for our friends. Just keep praying. Go ahead. I'm just going to pray with you. Just go ahead and keep praying out loud. God, we just cry out to you, Lord, for our co-workers, Lord, for our family members, Lord. Father, there are people, Lord, that need to know you, Lord. There's uh, spouses in this room, Lord, that don't know you. Uh, Maybe they haven't known you for a long time. Maybe not ever. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just do a mighty work in their hearts and minds. God, only you can truly uh, do the work that's needed, Lord, for our friends and family members, Lord, uh, to come to know you. Only you can breathe the increase. God, we offer these names. We offer these lives up to you, Lord. Some of them we've been praying for years Probably for some we've lost hope. Maybe for some we're starting to lose hope. Father, help us to battle in prayer, Lord. It's too easy to get worn down by the discouragement of not seeing prayers answered. Father, help us to understand that while we're waiting, you are working. God, we offer up to you these names. We offer up to you these lives, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to do a work that should help uh, some way, somehow help their minds and thoughts to turn towards uh, to turn towards you. And if we get conversations, if we get opportunities, Lord, um, may we just. Uh, Hopefully keep our composure and just um, may you just give us the words to say and help us to be sensitive to how you work in Holy Spirit. And we pray that in the meantime that we could just uh, love the way that we're called to love and meet the needs that might present themselves. God, I thank you for the prayers of each person in here, Lord. I thank you that you've strategically placed us in different places. God, help us to see um, we're not called to do this alone, Lord, and we need uh, our brothers and sisters to pray with us, to help encourage us, to help pick us up. Our church and church family means so much more, Lord, when we come to just bless the person in the pew next to us. And the family down the street, Lord. and God, just do a work here, Father. God, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done for your good news. We pray that you would continue to work and that you would show us how to pray when there just seems to be no words. And I pray, God, that the power of prayer would just be a mark of this church, Lord, of this church body. That when all else fails, Lord, we just continue to hit our knees. Like we sang in that song, Lord, when we are broken, Lord, we can then start to be strong in you. So we're going to play that song and you can stay praying. Um, Actually, I hope that you do stay praying during this song. And then we'll end up, uh, we'll pray together and we'll leave after the song. So we can play that. We'll play that softly. It's God, we would just ask that um, that the fountain of your blessing, the fountain of your love, would just transform those that we love and care about in and around our lives, Lord. Um, you know, many times we, just about all the time, we don't know the whole story and what people are battling and what they're going through. And I pray, Lord, that we would uh, that that perspective would be clear to us. Um, but that you would show us how to pray um, for those um, that you put in and around our lives, Lord. Show us how to love those in and around our lives and um, help us not get caught up uh, maybe with things that maybe aren't that important, Lord. Help us to stay faithful with um, the talents and resources you've put in and around our lives. Um, and God, it's, uh, it's painful a lot of times when we see um, those close in and around us Um, we just want to see him come to know you, Lord. And we just ask uh, that you just do that work, Father. Father, help us to see the fruit of our prayers. Help us to not limit you, uh, maybe based on uh, what we think are past failures. And God, may we just be the type of people Uh, where our faith fuels our works, Lord, just like we read about. May our faith in you fuel how we invest into somebody else, even if maybe we won't get all that back. May our faith fuel um, how we give uh, of our resources, Lord. May our faith fuel how we meet the needs in and around us, Lord, whatever it might be. And may we do it all in the name of Jesus. And God, I am extremely grateful that you love and pursue each person more than we can hope or imagine. I thank you for that. And I pray that we would do our part in battle and prayer in their behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you'd like to stay up here and pray, I definitely understand that. Um, I would love to pray with you. Um, Other people will pray with you too if you'd like. Otherwise, we have food downstairs. Try not to slip leaving this place. Have a blessed week.